Hello again, everybody, and welcome to The Nerd Table, our 52nd episode being brought to you today on a beautiful Saturday afternoon, wherever you happen to be, unless you are in the path of the hurricane heading towards New England. Hello, Jeff. Have fun with that, by the way. But I am Chris, joined always by my partner in crime in the podcasting world, Dan Peck. Well, howdy. How are you doing? How's the weather in North Carolina? Are you still dying? Uh, well, it's uh, 89, so it's not in the 90s. That Well, you are correct about that. That is, <laughs> that is accurate. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, no, it's been a, a lot of rain. Of course, we had the remnants of the previous hurricane come through here during this week. Yep, we got that. So, we got that the day after you did. That was the, you uh, would yeah, that's how it always happens because that's how that's how the flow works. But yes, so well, it good. does move south to north. Uh, our friend Eric is off this week. His family is in town visiting, and I know how important that is to see your family when they come to visit you when you don't live in the same state as they do. So we hope he's having a good time here. Uh, last week we delayed the episode because his internet was out for an entire weekend, but that was mostly because we wanted to do a live episode for you guys and. Well, you can't do that if Eric's internet's not working. So to fill the void this week, I'd like to welcome to the show, making his debut, one of our lovely loyal patrons has cashed in his right as a patron who financially supports the show and keeps it free for all of you out there. So we thank our patrons profusely. I'd like to welcome to the show a good friend of mine dating all the way back to the old Xbox Live days. We're really... Asian ourselves on this one here, aren't we? Uh, please welcome Brian James Leon. There's no accent, dang it. That's not <laughs> how you pronounce it. <laughs> That's how I pronounce it, sir. I had a teacher in seventh grade that would make it French. He's like, Brian Leon. I'm like, no. Leon. I'm Mexican. I'm not French. Yeah, That's not even close to the same thing. At least if you were Spanish, at least those countries would border, but. Well, Leon is a province in Spain, so maybe that's where the family name comes from. I don't. I know uh, very little about my dad's side of the family going back like more than a hundred years. So yeah, we. Uh, I, I think I've actually talked about this on the show before that like both of my family histories have a weird point where the O'Mealy name can be traced back to the 1600s stateside, and then it completely disappears. So you would assume somewhere in there was the. The, uh, the pilgrimage, right? From Ireland over to the U.S. But there, the name O'Mealy doesn't exist in Ireland. So the rumor is that there was a band of escapee criminals with the name Mealy. Because Mealy is everywhere. But that O doesn't exist. And back then, it was probably pretty easy to just add an O and, <laughs> and escape and nobody could trace you. Simpsons, huh? Mm, from now on, you're the Simps. Hmm, that'll save time. Hmm, that will save time. Hello, Mr. Thompson. Well, we'll talk about Brian's fandoms here in just a moment. But uh, real quick, Brian, I just wanted to, since you are on the show for the first time, I know you've you've been part of our Among Us crew, so people have gotten to hear your voice if they have watched us uh, destroy each other and kill each other. So they, they might be familiar with your alter ego of Mancubus. I thought about doing that for the entire episode, but even I would get sick of it. <laughs> Probably just... And yeah, we, ha 
we hadn't played Among Us for four months, and who was the first person to get imposter? This guy, and who and who got found immediately after killing the first person? This guy. We were all out of practice, but uh, but tell everybody a little bit about yourself, sir. Well, I am. Um, well, this is the nerd table. I'm a gigantic nerd, just like you guys. Uh, for a while, not privileged, probably not true anymore. My number one fandom was definitely Game of Thrones. I was 100% into and obsessed with that. Read all the books, read all the extra books, saw every episode multiple times. Nice. I'll still always love it, even though I'm will never stop being disappointed at the final season. So, yeah. So Dan is not a Game of Thrones guy, but I'm willing to bet. You heard all the backlash about the eighth season. Yeah. Okay. To uh, we'll, we'll we'll summarize it pretty briefly. But the, what basically happened? The two creators of the show, they they call themselves D and D and B, right? Is that how we do this? I think it's D and D because it's uh, D B Weiss and Dave B Dan, or Dave Benioff. Yeah, it looks like Benoit every time you see it. Yeah, I would always I would always just call him Benoit. But, so that was D and D was their abbreviation. Yes, but the 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 famous incident is that they uh, were going to be contracted to put together their own Star Wars trilogy. So they decided to rush through the ending of Game of Thrones to get started on it, and then they or Netflix, by the way. Yes, and then they got fired from the project. So it was all it was all for naught. And I understand being burned out because they had made that show basically their entire life for the last decade. But if you're burned out, if you don't have the passion for it anymore, hand it off to somebody else who has that same level of care for it. Agreed, yes. So They take all these amazing storylines and bullet points that they had set up over the years, and you got to give them credit. Like The first several seasons were amazing, and it's not just because they largely had George Martin's works to pull from. Actually, like I, thought, a... uh, I thought everything was really good up until... The last two seasons are where some of the faltering started to happen. Now, don't get me yep. wrong. Season 8 is not all bad. No, absolutely. And Season 7 is not all bad, but they were rushed, those two yeah, seasons. So. There are moments of brilliance, but overall it was disappointing because a lot of these really cool storylines and Easter eggs that they had set up that you think are going to lead to something ultimately become meaningless and it makes it hard to want to rewatch it because you know that this thing they're setting up for has no payoff. So this is kind of funny, but uh, the other the other week I went out to lunch with a former coworker of mine from the warehouse, and we were just catching up and everything. He goes, so guess what I finally saw? Game of Thrones. I was like, really? I said, how far did you get? He goes, I watched the whole thing. And I'm like, wow. Dude. <laughs> He's like, I couldn't stop. I'm like, okay, I get it. <laughs> Trust me, I get it. And, um, I think I binged the first three seasons in about, like, a week. Yeah. Yeah, Dan, if you ever want to go for a binge, uh, you will have to dedicate some time. This is HBO hour quality, so it's an actual hour, not... Some some are hour and 15 minutes, like, some are a little bit longer. Oh, yeah. But, I, 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 I'm not gonna lie, it's a very, very quality show. The ending was disappointing, but I also know people who didn't mind it, who... I don't hate it overall. I just hate how they went about it. I feel like sure. some of the ma the major things that happened were bullet points that were given to them by George because he gave them kind of a general outline of where their story was going. Yes. But it's just they went about a lot of them in a really lazy, you know, ham-fisted way. So who is your favorite Game of Thrones character? 
Jamie Lannister. Good pick, yes. Yeah. Which is all the more disappointing because they kind of ruined his redemption arc. Uh, yeah, because he didn't really get one. But, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, no. Uh, Jamie Lannister. Jamie, though, book Jamie is one of the most well-written, complicated, interesting characters ever, ever created. Because there's, there's moments where he's so hated and you want something really bad to happen to him. And then, without spoiling anything, because I think Dan has said he's going to probably check this out at some point. But you you feel for him, and then he becomes a pretty damn good character. He even he moves past sympathetic villain into like you fully understand why he did the thing. The thing that he's the most hated for is probably the best thing he ever did. Correct. I would agree with that. Um since you've actually read all of the books other than like the Lady Stonewall thing, what are some of the major changes that you think were beneficial going from book to series or detrimental going from book to series? Anything really stick out in your head? I know... One thing the show does really well is, I mean, George is a great writer, but he has, he's very good detail and detail oriented, but he goes a little bit too far into detail and the show is great at, streamlining some of that there'd be like a whole like three pages dedicated to like talking about a feast like you don't need to describe every one of these 50 dishes in detail like that's very tolkien-esque actually mm -hmm. which is why he talks about tolkien as his main influence well then there you have it and if he's but look at look at the size of george rr martin are you really surprised he spent three pages describing (laughs) a feast i mean he's not he's not a small man no. Does he? Does he? Meanwhile, do an epic castle siege in two sentences? <laughs> no, he's very good at uh, describing battles, actually. And what a battle it was! I was like, "Oh, come on!" That was like, that was that was actually the only thing about the Hobbit novel that I really hated was that the Battle of Far of Armies was like two pages. It was like an appendix. <laughs> it literally the was. Entire... Yeah. Then in the entire third movie after it, and it comes out of nowhere too. It's kind of cool, and you name your whole movie after that, and that just ruins the surprise. Yes, the third movie should have been called There and Back Again, which is what it was originally going to be called. So, so you are looking forward to how, to seeing how the books do wrap up, because I know George R. R. Martin has said it, it will be a slightly different ending. Mm-hmm. So, it's hard to talk about without spoiling it, but no, I know, I know, but. But uh, it'll be fun because, uh, like, like, and I'll, I'll tell this to Dan because he hasn't seen it, and I'll tell this to anybody who hasn't seen Game of Thrones. Like, because I mean, honestly, I was well aware of the reputation of The Sopranos before I actually went back and rewatched the entire series, but I still watched it to enjoy it. And if you watch it with an open mind, you might have a completely different opinion than the than everybody else does. But that mm. actually brings up. Game of Thrones always brings up an interesting topic to me because Game of Thrones and The Sopranos are two of the shows that always come to mind when people talk about, like, the worst series finales ever. Uh, In both of your opinions, what has been a series finale that you thought was just fantastic overall? Dan, I'll start with you because you've you've gotten quite quite good at doing entire series as a full binge. So there has to be something that really stands out for so, you. Like, I didn't. I didn't mind the end of the Sopranos, actually. Um, 
I guess it's because I watched it so so far afterwards. Also, like the end of Seinfeld kind of rules now. Like maybe when you watched it, when it was the actual ending of the show. <laughs> I actually like the end of Seinfeld because it's a good summary. They finally get what they deserve. It's like you're in jail because you're bad people. Yeah, exactly. And they are. They're they're bad people. Um, really good ending. What I like is endings of shows where it's not just like it's just like yeah, like nothing really major changes at the end of the show, but they're just like but the really cool stuff that you want to see on TV is done. Okay. Right? Like some some shows like everyone just disappears at the end of the show, like Friends. At the end of Friends, no one lives in those apartments anymore. Like, yeah, it's like no, this is over and dead. Or like Scrubs, the last season is a completely new cast of characters all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. But that's why. But for some shows, that actually makes sense. Like Mash, everybody talks about what a great oh, yeah. finale yeah. that was. Cause... That is a fantastic finale. It's a movie essentially. I believe it's ninety minutes. Yeah, and it is one of the most heart-wrenching things because the whole thing is the whole episode almost the whole episode is him in is Hawkeye in therapy talking about they went to a beach one day and they had a great time and then it was time to get back on the bus and go back into town and a a North Korean group stops the bus and they're going to go on the bus and check everybody out and they know that if they do that they'll be in trouble and there's a lady with her damn chicken that won't shut up. And it's mm-hmm. going to get them inspected. And then you realize over time that that, that they're like, you, you have to kill the chicken. You have to kill the chicken or we'll all die. And then it's revealed that it wasn't a chicken. It was her baby. Yep. Yep. It was, that was rough. It was a rough, rough end. A rough ending, but, but it's also such a good ending too because the war is over, it's the natural progression of the story, right? Yeah, and then it ends with the war being over and everyone leaving, going their own, their own ways back home. But that's Which one of I like guess those... In a that way, where everyone's roads go different ways at the end of the show, that one's good because it makes sense. Right. They talk about this because I finished watching the series, but uh, the uh, the finale of The Clone Wars, which is what happens to Ahsoka Tano and Order 66. And that was I, my answer. That's what I was going to say. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we'll, mm-hmm. talk, we'll talk about it. Talk about how great that finale was. Cause... It is, if I had to pick my second favorite fandom, it would definitely be Star Wars. It was so cool to see Order 66 from a different perspective, from the perspective of the clones. You see how even the ones that aren't able to get their chips turned off or taken out, they try to resist it, but it's so it's just ingrained into them. They just can't. You see Ahsoka just all of a sudden, one second, everything's fine. The next second, life or death situation. The entire galaxy is flipped on its head in a heartbeat. Yep. You actually hear from her strong connection with Anakin little snippets from Revenge of the Sith about what happens. You see... Stuff like you hear about Count Dooku being killed by Anakin and the rescuing of the Chancellor from another point of view. Oh, yeah, when Obi-Wan's like, well, we can't interrogate Dooku because, uh, yeah, Anakin, Anakin killed, killed him. him. <laughs> <laughs> so so there goes that plan right out the wall. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, is watch the prequels again and pay attention to Palpatine. Mm-hmm. 
all the little things, all the little things he says, all the little things he doesn't say, the little manipulations. When he, he got into his head, got him to kill him because that's it. Nothing he can do. When he, the, my fa- my favorite thing first off is he's basically sitting in like the emperor's chair, even yeah. though he's mm-hmm. got the binders on. You know he's perfectly fine where he is, and then. When he actually sells Anakin, he goes, do it, Anakin. Kill him. And you see Dooku give him that look like, what? This <laughs> wasn't it. the plan. And then Sidious comes in. Do it. Do it. And then, of course, afterwards, he's like, I know it was hard, my boy, but you had did what you had to do, and it was for the good of the galaxy. He was too dangerous to be left alive. And then later yeah. on, the symmetry with Mace, he's too dangerous to be left alive. Yep. <clears throat> which is, which is talk all you want too. about George Lucas's not that great dialogue, but he was a great storyteller and a great world builder. That's another thing about the prequels too. Like everybody always talks about, you know, oh the dialogue is so terrible. I'm like, mm, I mean, yes, but I also think some of that was the direction, because we know Hayden Christensen, Natalie Portman, and Samuel L. Jackson are good actors. But there but were, the, yeah. If the director says, "Hey, that's good enough," when the line delivery was meh, kind of awkward. I mean, yeah. I mean, th- what are they going to do? Like, yeah, they they were told it was good, and that's why. So that's love why... has made you blind. No, it's because I'm so in love with you. Well, some things you can't, <laughs> you, you can't go too nuts with. But yes, but no, I, I know exactly what you're saying. But the ending of, which was uh, basically Ahsoka and Rex escaping. Escaping the crashing capital cruiser. Yep, going. Or was in... it a Venator class? I think is what they said it was. I maybe I don't actually remember now, but the the I'm ending. I'm pretty that... sure the. Yeah. The ending that got me was Ahsoka burying her lightsabers, with the uh, the helmet of the one clone trooper Jesse, who was like an ally of theirs, and he's the main one leading the charge against her and Rex. Yep, he's They're one of the trying to get through to him, and they just they couldn't break through that inhibitor chip. Yeah, so it's like it's like a grave for him. And she buries her lightsabers there, and then it's friggin' Darth Vader finding it, which obviously and for a split second under the helmet, it's not Vader looking out from under it. It's Anakin. it's Anakin, which was always there's a... some great moments in the comics of him, of Vader going to places looking for. Doesn't stuff he find Anakin. Padme's old handmaidens too? Yeah, at one point, like, there's some stuff where he goes and he has like full, like breakdowns and stuff about his choices and stuff. and Yeah. He goes and he finds like Padme, Padme stuff and other Padme stuff and Ahsoka stuff. And that's why I've always said that one of the best villains ever created in all of, in all of fiction is Darth Vader because he looks the part. He sounds the part. He acts the part. But he's so three-dimensional because there's so much to him. There's so many layers. And it doesn't have to be. It's not like Palpatine, who's just straight-up sadistic, right? Mm-hmm. Palpatine's awesome, but yeah, he is a one-dimensional evil mwahahaha control the universe. Yes. There's not a whole lot of flexibility with him. Like, yes, he's cunning and conniving, which makes him a good villain, but... That's what he was. He he knew what he was doing and he went for it. But Anakin was so twisted by, by everything, by all the lies and deception, you know, 
like people always say, it was so stupid that he goes and chokes Padme. The whole reason he turned was to save her. I'm like, no, that's actually the point. That the He was po- so emotionally wracked by everything that had happened. He wasn't thinking. He wasn't himself anymore. Yeah, he wasn't thinking. He was. His mind was completely corrupted. And that's why... I mean, this is hours after he slaughtered all the younglings at the Jedi Temple. Yes. That's why I've always believed that, like, especially in Empire, he was perfectly capable of finishing off Luke, but he didn't on purpose. He could have finished off Luke, and he knew he could have. So he fought just hard enough so Luke couldn't get the upper hand on him. And then, yeah, he chopped his hand off, but that's not killing the person. That's just maiming him. Because he wants... He wants him and his son to overthrow. Yeah, he wants the, the emperor, and then they can rule together. Exactly, that, that's the way of the Sith. The apprentice must overtake the master. Oh, also, another thing in the comic books is we learned that Darth Plagueis was alive until some point during Phantom Menace. Yup. Have either of you read the Plagueis novel? No. no, that's on my list though. Even though it's considered legends. There's enough in it that has been corroborated by other stuff that I still consider most of it canon. It is really, really interesting. It's very it's very magical. It deals with a lot of like Sith mysticism. And he even meets Anakin when he's when they first come to uh Coruscant. Mm-hmm. Because Plagueis' alter ego is Hago Damask. He's like a he's part of the banking clan. So he's like a well known guy in the political and economic sphere. Dude, how about that, Brian? Two of your favorite fandoms, Game of Thrones and Star Wars, both have shitty people involved with banking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Bank of Westeros, or... It's, it's almost mean, it's almost like fiction the, mirrors... the Iron Bank? Yeah, fiction mirrors reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, these are, these are tropes. These are messages. Like, no, they're not. You knew what you were doing. There's no, there's no subtlety there. Uh, Although yes. the guy from the Iron Bank does have a much better hat. <laughs> in, in the books, that's a thing. The I forget his name, but the Iron Banker, he tromps all the way through the snow when Stannis is, like, camped out trying to siege Winterfell to get his money back. And he's got this big, oversized, ridiculous hat. And that's... that's awesome. That should have been in the show. Mm-hmm. I would have I been okay with that if that was in the show. Well, I mean, there's always going to be stupid stuff that gets cut when you do a book a book translation like uh for example we just talked we talked about this on our patron episode but tom bombadil i i can see both sides of it tom bombadil is cool but he also doesn't have a whole lot to do with the whole overall story well let's just save their life and then move them along to, mm-hmm. to actually get debris Right. I think that's the same thing with peeves the poltergeist getting cut out of harry potter right is he essentially he doesn't do anything He's just a fun character that's there. Matter of fact, pretty much all of the ghosts disappear after like the second or third movie. Yeah, there's no more ghosts. And the only reason the ghost stuck around is because Nearly Headless Nick is actually a key plot point that happens in Chamber of Secrets. There's no more need for him. Because then when, when do you get a ghost again? You get uh, Helena Ravenclaw. Ra- yeah, Ravenclaw's daughter. In the or or last... Moaning Myrtle. Yeah. Or Moaning Myrtle, that's it. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's basically how it works, right? Is if they're not that important to the story. Um, so this 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 kind of circles back to Game of Thrones, but is Lady Stonewall actually important to the story? And the fact he that doesn't she doesn't 
do enough yet to where the book's left off to know whether or not she's important. It's really cool. It's really interesting. Okay. And, like, the last scene that you see with her is, like, a huge, like, oh, my God, WTF moment. But... Yeah, it is I gotcha. yet to be seen the larger role she's going to play in the story. So, do those are those books like akin to Harry Potter in that the first couple are only like a certain length, and then all of a sudden they all become twice that length and three they're, times that they're length. pretty long. The last book is like eleven hundred pages, A Dance with Dragons, oh but they gosh. do get progressively longer. Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> but I've read. I've, I had read the first book, or I'd started the first book. I'd read the first couple of chapters, for sure. I don't remember exactly how far I got. But it was, the first book I know was doing a really good job paralleling the TV show. Sometimes down to the exact dialogue. Yes. Like, it's one of the best page-to-screen adaptations ever done, is the first season. Yes. And that's actually something, and, I, and I've said this before, and I, you know, maybe the, the source material is not good, but the actual Twilight conversion is done very well. And I don't expect a lot of people to go out and read those books. In fact, I encourage you not to. (laughs) But that is one of the better translations that I've ever seen. They get almost all the details right. There's very... It's the first one especially because... And I remember that one distinctly because that was when I first started dating my wife at the time. So it wasn't one of those things that was, di- it's hard to forget because it's kind of ingrained in my memory as the whole, you know, hey, this is an interest of yours. I want to check out this interest of yours. And then it was, and that would have been 2008, which is when the first movie came out. So that series was starting to blow up in popularity anyway. Team Edward or Team Jacob? <laughs> uh, neither, because... I'll I'll say this. I will say a positive about Twilight. There's actually some very interesting, well-done characters in that book. None of them are Bella, Edward, or Jacob. <laughs> but the rest of the, the family, like, specifically uh, Alice and Jasper, are extremely interesting characters who have, and, uh, oh my, I forget the other, the, the other sister's name. I think it's Rosalie. They all have these tragic backstories, and... This is not a spoiler or anything because I don't I don't give a shit about spoiling Twilight for everybody out there. I'm sorry if you if, if you're listening to our show, odds are you probably don't give a shit or you're you've, you've had of, enough time to read them if you're really that interested. You're really that interested, but um, the backstory of the one girl Rosalie is basically that uh, she was basically like raped and left for dead practically, mm. and. When she became a vampire, one of the first things she did was she went back, found like the, the group of guys that did that to her, and just destroyed them in just these horrible graphic ways. And I was rooting for her because we could have an episode of the Friday the Thirteenth TV show. It was like a serialized show, like a um, uh, what's it like um. Like the Twilight Zone? Like, 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 like the Twilight Zone. Oh, like episodic. It was like, like a different story every time. Okay. So this group of guys rape... They don't actually rape her. They try to rape this girl. And she runs in like in like the park in town. She runs away and gets hit by a car. And she's now paraplegic and she uh, gets this fancy old school 
wheelchair. And she finds out that at night when she's dreaming, she becomes able body and she tracks down and kills all those guys. Ooh, there you go. Okay. That's interesting. That's really interesting, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those episodic, those uh, those anthology-style shows were always yeah. so much fun to watch. Twilight Zone. Um, I always loved Are You Afraid of the Dark as a kid. Mm-hmm. Because they had the... Uh, the... To a lesser extent, Goosebumps. Yeah, but that was... That one was kind of tough because a lot of the episodes of the TV show made too many changes to the the books that they were borrowing from, and it... well, they're like changing like a two hundred page book and do a twenty minute TV show. Yeah, it's it's just it's not possible to do that and do it well. That's what like, I was. R.L. Stein was crazy. He was writing a Fear Street and a Goosebumps book every month for like five years straight. Yeah, and even a parody series, Goof Lumps. I, I remember. I remember. I had two of those. Those were hysterical. Going to the Scholastic Book Fair looking for the new Goosebump books. What the hell is this? Sounds funny. I By mean, the way, I ha- I found that I had a um, a joke book written by R.L. Stein. Yeah. Ooh. It was like a joke book. It was written by like Robert Stein and blah, blah, blah. And it was like his wife. They wrote a freaking joke book before he started writing Goosebumps in Fear Street. You gotta start somewhere, right? <laughs> gotta start somewhere. Ah, the Goosebumps books were so much fun. I love those books so much. I, uh... Did you guys... I think Monster Blood was probably my favorite. Yeah, so I... I the forget... The first ex- one? The first I... one is the one I remember the most. I think there was three Monster Bloods, wasn't there? There were four. That was oh, actually wow. that's where actually where I was about to go with that because um, if you'll bear with me for a moment, I can actually pull this up. I believe so. I had they're they're on my computer right now. I have not gotten them onto my iPad or anything, but I have the um, I have PDF copies of all the books so I could reread them again because. It's just, it's not, it's one of those things that's kind of hard to go out and uh, find all that stuff again. And that would take up so much space having all those books physically to haul around. Yeah. Whereas, you know, 62 PDF files is, you know, that's, that's 25 megabytes or something at most. It, it's crumbs. Yeah, it's exactly. So I was looking at the list of the, the books that basically came out after I had kind of stopped. And where I kind of stopped was around, there's 62 of them, and as I'm looking through the titles, I'm realizing... Somewhere in the teens? <laughs> no, in the 40s is where I stopped. Wow. I was I was up to, like, the 40s. But there's a couple where I'm, I'm reading the things, like Vampire Breath, Attack of the Jack-O-Lanterns. I'm like, these don't sound familiar like I actually ever read these, and if I did, I don't have any memory of them. There's like, you know, chicken, chicken, don't go to sleep, the blob that ate everyone. I'm pretty sure I'd never seen those. So I'm just like, so what else did I actually miss? And I realize all the way at the end of the list, number 62 was Monster Blood 4. And I did not realize that that's how the series ended with a fourth Monster Blood. I'm like, you know what? That's actually pretty cool. That I'd be interested in. 
Do you have a favorite Goosebumps that you remember, Dan, from what you might remember of them? I like the mutant one, whatever, where the kid becomes a superhero. Ah, uh, yes. Attack an of the Nemesis. Yeah, an arch nemesis, like, immediately. Yep. So, the one that always stood out for me as being an absolute favorite were... Uh, I got the titles here. Welcome to Camp Nightmare. Number nine. If you want to get... You want to get uh, creative here. Well... Because I was always big into camping and everything, and it was a summer camp story. I always went to summer camp. So I had a lot of fun reading that. I, it was an easy, relatable story. Um, Horrorland is probably my favorite one because it's a theme park. Basically a theme park from hell. And you all know my history with theme parks, so that shouldn't mm-hmm. surprise anybody. But wait, what, a theme park from hell that differentiates it from the rest how? <laughs> well... Fortunately, there was a. I remember in the book, it's like there's like barely anybody there that day, so it's easy to get around. Uh, Guilty pleasure one was the Cuckoo Clock of Doom, which is the kid who travels back through time. Every day he wakes up, he's gotten progressively younger, and he basically gets all the way back to being an infant, and he has to fix what happened because he still got his brain. He can still think in this younger kid's body, but it just keeps going. Down and down and down. I just remember, I'm like, yep, those were always my absolute favorite ones. If I if I go back and just kind of read through the titles real quick, those are the ones that stand out the, the most for me, were those three. But yes, I did like the Monster Bloods, at least the first three, because I don't... Well, it was interesting. It was like, what if the Monster Blood ends up, you know, here? What yeah. If the Monster Blood infects your cat or whatever. Like, what if... Oh, yeah, one of them's a hamster. The hamster gets yeah. huge. Yeah, a hamster. Oh, I remember that. A lot of these titles are jumping out at me, but the actual stories themselves, it's been so long. Yeah, it's like the school, ha- the class hamster ends up with the monster, but it gets, like, you know, house size. Yes. Abominable Snowman in Pasadena. That's another one that jumps out at me. <laughs> I remember that one, yeah. I, I, I just remember that, uh, the title. The, the one with the ghost hands playing the piano. I can't remember what that one was called. Uh, piano lessons can be murder. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, there's a there were a couple of good ones. I always loved the uh, the Choose Your Own Adventure series that they did. Oh, those were great. The, the only one I can really remember was there was an ending where you died and you got like eaten and digested by a giant earthworm. <laughs> there's a the the one I always remembered was the the time travel the time travel one, because I remember I figured out a way to do it where you could go to the past and to the future and get a good ending. Like I, I had the, the, the path memorized. So if you weren't sure if you wanted to go to the past or go to the future, you didn't have to choose because there's a way you can get to the future from the past and basically start that story from the beginning. And I always found that really interesting. Found a way to loop the story around so you didn't get stuck. Exactly. But those were always fun when you would, uh, when you'd go back and re- and you'd get to like a crap ending. You're like, well, shit. Now what do I do? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, those books were those books were great. And they they made Goosebumps choose your own adventure. There weren't that many of them, but yeah, they were they were fun. Mm-hmm. They were a lot of fun. <laughs> 
<clears throat> so yeah, um, so yeah, real quick, let's circle back to uh, we're talking about books and everything here. I want to quickly circle back to Star Wars, and uh, I was going to ask if anybody had read the Thrawn book, the canon read, Thrawn book. I've read the first one. I've got bored like a third of the way through the second one. Honestly, okay. I'll finish it eventually. So I I you... did really enjoy. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just wanted to ask if you enjoy the fact that they took a Legends character and made him canon. After I love him... that because from everything I've understood, I don't know a whole lot about Legends because I was young when that was a thing. But from everything I understood, Thrawn was one of the best characters ever written, and he is very very good in the new book. I'm a little bit critical because they do do a good job of showing his military genius and his like strategic thinking. But a lot of it is very convenient. It's, it's <laughs> almost like shooting an arrow and painting a bullseye around it after. Like, oh, it's yeah. A little hard to buy that he was able to predict so many of these seemingly random things adding up to this specific outcome. It's, it's a minor critique. Well, I'll just say this because I just finished Star Wars Rebels Season 3. Uh, which ends with the with the big the big battle over Lothal, mm-hmm. which is technically a victory for the Empire, although they didn't get everything they wanted because the key rebels still escape. But the rebels, it's like it's like Empire. Yeah, like the Battle of Hoth, they won, but yeah. they didn't get what they wanted. They, they didn't win. Yeah, they they escaped with their lives and are able to continue the fight, but they definitely lost the battle. Because Hoth was lost. Like, mm-hmm. they, they destroyed the shield generator. The Star Destroyers landed. Vader flat out took over the, the base. So. The, uh, the, the ending of Season 3 was great, but I love that they brought him into the show, which is absolutely brilliant because of what a, what a menacing character he is, too. And it's good to see an Imperial that's actually competent. And not like all these other Imperial officers that are just bumbling idiots. Well, I like uh, Agent Callus, who turns out to be the turncoat. Mm-hmm. I love the way that he tricks everybody into thinking that, you know, this this poor young lieutenant is actually the one. Yep, you know, he's actually Fulcrum. Yes. But Thrawn but figures Thrawn it out. And I was just like, it. oh my god, he's so... But he's like, let him keep going. Let's see where he leads us. Because he doesn't know that we know. Exactly. And he, he doesn't actually confront him until it's time to confront him when he tries to give his final broadcast. Because he knew. He knew that that Callus was going to hear him discuss the plan to invade the planet and try to broadcast it out, and he intercepted it. So in typical fashion of the show, we go off on tangents, and I have to circle back to the original point I was making. We were talking about a Sultano. <laughs> Uh, actually, the original point was good television finales. Oh yeah, we're... <laughs> well we, we're we're on we, we're on to rebels now because I want I did want to talk about rebels, and we were going to talk about Bad Batch anyway, so we might as well we might as well kill this off now. Then we'll circle all the way back. Yeah, this is welcome to the nerd table, folks. This is how we whirl. Uh, but I wanted <laughs> I know I'm cracking myself up just. And how ridiculous we get. But yeah, I wanted to quickly circle back and talk about how uh, all that stuff from Clone Wars finale made it even more impactful when I saw Twilight of the Apprentice. The two-part finale of season two of Rebels. When Ahsoka fights Darth Vader 
and he actually and has to come to grips with the fact that that is Anakin. She she th- she has a thought, but she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to believe it. She can't believe it. Yeah, and then they. But he actually becomes Anakin for a split second and talks to her. Just when to she mess cuts with his mask, head. just enough to see his face partially. Oh, that was that was rough. That that's what it boils down to. But the thing the thing with Vader is. He is, it's almost a split personality. He's a separate consciousness almost because of his psyche has been tortured so much. Yes. And the Vader, the Vader psyche hates Anakin. He hates his weakness. He wants to destroy everything that could remind him of his former life and everybody that he failed. You know what I always loved in Return of the Jedi? So what I told you was true from a certain point of view. And Luke just baffling goes a certain point of view and you can tell that luke is just incensed by what he just heard it's like you knew the whole time what i told you was true from a certain point of view uh brian i had this discussion with dan off the air so i want to bring you into this let's talk about aging on the show <laughs> dan knows where i'm going with this so okay in clone wars boba fett is a child right so by Mandalorian, he's sort of a middle-aged man. That's a natural progression, right? Mid, mid to late 40s is yeah. my guess. It's hard to tell because he's so battle-scarred, but... <clears throat> right. But you have Luke and I Leia... I mean, he who... did spend some time in uh, Sarlacc, so... It's true. Luke and Leia are young adults, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh... And are they, o- like, 17? I think Luke is... I think Luke is like 30 by Return of the Jedi. I think? So, yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, how but, much time passes during the trilogy? Because aren't they supposed to be like 17 or 19 when it starts? Mm-hmm. I think Luke specifically is 19. That number sounds right. Well, yeah, because he's kind Leia of... Is the same. Yeah, they're twins, obviously. They're the same age. Yes. Leia's two years older. Wait, what? How does that work? <laughs> no wonder Padme died on the table. She was laying there for two years. I mean, I, I've I've heard of twins that were like two days apart. Yes, I've heard complications they, of. They were labor childhood. so long. Yeah, I have heard. I have heard of that. Yes. And of course, there's the, the infamous. Well, they were born at eleven fifty nine fifty, and they were born at twelve. You know, know so they have, You know what? That's actually cool because then they have different birthdays, and they can celebrate a day all to themselves, or make it a two day celebration, which is. Yeah. These are things you can do. I was born two weeks late, and I came out backwards. (laughs) (laughs) And I do good in life. Life goes Chris and I were both born like five weeks early. Yes, so we're... I was supposed to be a December baby. I was supposed to be a late January. I was a a December 12th baby. I have a cousin that was born 13 weeks premature, and everybody was amazed she survived. Dude, I barely survived, and that was like five weeks premature. Yeah, good for her. Yeah, that she was like the size of your hand when she was born. It was, yeah, you it could was... fit me in like your hand. Yeah. You know who was born prematurely? Tommy Pickles. That is an it's an actual canon fact that they've confirmed, although it's never said on the show, which is why <laughs> he's got such a thirst for life and a sense of adventure. That makes sense. I like a bald head and a bald head. Exactly. Okay, so where I was going with the aging thing. Uh, Bo-Katan clearly does not age. Because she should totally be way older. 
And I said this to Dan, and Dan goes, well, they're aging her just like Katie Sackhoff. And I'm like, I accept that as canon. Because Katie Sackhoff does not age either. Well, I saw her picture, like her official picture on like wikis or whatever. It's like, she could be 30. She could be 50. I don't know. <laughs> well, if, if she is a natural redhead, they don't have a soul, so they don't age. <laughs> oh. Or maybe because she's actual Mandalorian, like blood Mandalorian. Maybe there's something there. I mean, yeah, Eric... they just stay younger, longer because of all the intense training they go through. They. Because, you know, people that are in better shape do look younger when they get older. But Katie Sackhoff is two years older than Dan. Yeah. So there you have it. So I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess it would be possible that, like, she's sort of teenage. Let's say that she's, like, 19 years old during the events of the do Clone they, Wars, yeah, right? Do they mention how much older her sister is or anything? I don't think so. So, honestly, all that does is put her close to her 50s but that may not matter because i've known some people that are in their 50s who don't look anywhere close to that and you can always just write it off as it's in another galaxy so things work differently yes but i guess the only thing that bothers me is how quickly obi-wan becomes an old man and all that other stuff and like boba fett goes from child to like but i guess yeah i guess he would only be I get he would only be like maybe twelve years older than Luke. So even if Luke is like thirty in the Mandalorian, that only makes Boba Fett forty two. And that could that could certainly work. Cause he is very battle scarred, like you pointed out. So how does aging work in that galaxy? Landing in a Sarlacc ages you. You ever heard so- this? There's some company that would have to that would figure out how to market that Sarlacc stomach acid as the ultimate anti-aging cream or something. <laughs> You'll be slowly digested over a thousand years. And chokes on you. I'll be dead long before that. That's how Jabba made his made all his money. He wasn't a gangster. He actually just sold anti-aging cream. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always loved about uh about the whole Bib Fortuna deal. Is that Boba Fett just shows up and just flat out murders him? I I marked out so hard to see him back, even though there's like there's a lot of Star Wars hipsters that are like, oh, Bib Fortuna was my favorite character. You just say that because he's semi obscure, Bib but it Fortuna. made sense for Boba. <laughs> Bib Fortuna is no one's favorite character. Jeez. No, everyone loves Salacious Crumb. N- no, absolutely not. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you were going to go to Jabba's Palace on uh, lovely My favorite Tatooine, character is Dengar. Yeah. <laughs> if you were going to go to the Palace of Jabba the Hutt, you would have to travel to Tatooine, a desert planet with the twin suns. If you're going to travel there, perhaps you could use a good travel agent to get you there. See what I did, Dan? <laughs> I knew we were going. <laughs> when she started talking, I was like, wait a second. I told you we're. I'm going to try to make the sponsor plugs part of the show so that people don't just hit the fast forward button. But guys, the next time you're planning a vacation, I want you to go to the following website, emersoncotton.intelatravel.com and hook up with my buddy, Emerson A. Cotton, a.k.a. Adrian Cotton, patron and friend of the show. Use his company, EC Travel. This is great, because here's what he's going to do for you guys. He's going to basically book your whole trip for you. You just tell him what you want, 
and he'll take care of all the details. And he'll be there the whole way. This isn't Travelocity or Expedia or any of those websites. This guy's here from step one all the way to step, I don't know, however many steps it takes you to... to until you get back home. Until you're back home, exactly. He has all the hookups for great deals, great discounts. He can give you information. And even better, you don't pay a thing to use his services because it's all on commission. So there is no cost out of your pocket to, for this, for this service. There just isn't. And the best part is our listeners can w enter to win a three-day, two-night getaway simply by mentioning CKCC Radio when you book your trip that you are a listener of the CKCC Radio podcasts, whichever podcast you listen to. And guess what? You can get yourself a free vacation. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. So there's a... I found a way to tie that into the Star Wars universe. Where... That was masterful. Well done. <laughs> where where physics don't matter in that universe. So maybe aging, because there's sound in space, right? And hyperspace is a thing. So yeah, I, I have no problem believing that people can age any way that they want to. And maybe the whole Mandalorian sect of humans is kind of like Aragorn. Right? Or like the Numenor, like they there's just longer lived than average people. Yeah. Or the Japanese on Earth. Yeah. Longest life expectancy. The island of Okinawa, Japan has the greatest number of supercentarians per capita than any other anywhere else in the world. Good for them. Good for them. I, I think I know where I need to move. Plus I'd be in Japan. So first hand anime and New Japan pro wrestling. Mm. Sounds Some like things in Star me. Wars do, do actually get things in physics right, like the twin suns thing. This was way before we found out that it's more common to have a binary star system than a single star system like our own. Mm -hmm. That is true. Because you're like me, you watch a lot of uh, you watch a lot of Neil deGrasse Tyson. I've actually seen him speak live. Yes, that's a goal of mine. I've I've actually to told my wife the next time we go to New York City. I want to go it to the was, Hayden Planetarium and book one of his uh, sessions. It was half lecture and half stand-up comedy. He, he is he is very funny in person. Yeah, I, I imagine he is. His podcast is great, too, because I mm -hmm. learn a lot of stuff, but I also do a lot of laughing. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we like we like the science. We like, we like science-y stuff. Aperture science. We Morgan do. Freeman's Through the Wormhole, if you remember that show. I, I love that sh I love that series. Uh, science. Science, bitch! We, we do what we must because we can. Exactly. Speaking of fantastic TV finales, Breaking Bad. That uh, was the other one I was going to mention, too. Yeah, that's a, that's a great finale because it wraps up all the characters exactly. It kind of wraps up them up exactly how you would want them to wrap up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he it, dies sacrificing himself to save Jesse. It's fucking perfect. And in, a, in an amazing badass way with the machine gun car thing. Yep. Oh, and, yeah, dude. And Jesse's just in tears laughing at his own escape because he's just so full of emotion that he's, he's finally... He's hysterical, yeah. Yeah, he's finally free. He's endured all of this shit for so long and it's finally over and he can just... Especially since he was supposed to life. die by the end of the first season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he they was, like he his was supposed to so get much. him down the road and then die and it'd be like a turning point for him. 
Yep. Nope. Nope. Did you guys watch the El Camino Netflix special? That I, kind of. I have, I have not seen that now, but it's I'm going very, to very good. because I'm planning a full series rewatch on the on uh, the horizon. I don't know about that kind of show. Everyone rewatch it. I know it's going to be kind of a rough one, but I really want to do it. Certain episodes are going to be like the plane crash one. Ugh. Oof. Or just or watching uh, when when Walter White just lets Jesse's girlfriend choke on her own vomit, he just lets it happen. That because he knows it would, it's better for Jesse if she's dead. Oh my god! That that's like that's a lot. Like people used to talk a lot about like when do you think Walter White ended and Heisenberg began? To me, I think that was the tipping point. Yeah, that's when he fully became. He lost almost all of his empathy. Say my name. Mm-hmm. You're Heisenberg. You're goddamn right I am. But you know what scene always got me really well? When he uh when he finally confronts Hank and Hank finally pieces it together in the garage and he gets that Joker style grin as he hits the garage door button to close him in right before he goes to beat the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. That grin, I was always like, oh, it's going down. Right now, yeah, it's going down. He figures it out in the bathroom, right? Because he gets the book. Yeah. He looks at the book. And even he even admits it right to his face. He's like, you got me. That's me. I'm, I'm Heisenberg or whatever. And then he just, just starts laughing. Yeah. Because you know? nobody could think this mild-mannered, you know, middle-aged science high school teacher is a drug lord. Like, yep. Because it's so unbelievable. Oh my god, that finale was incredible. And then when he sees him get killed, even though he knows like Hank could end everything for him, he still has that pang of emotion because that's his family. Like they were friends at one point. Yeah, that's still his family. Oh, the scene where he has Badger and the other guy do the do the laser pointers to get so he can get his old partner to pay up. Yep. Yep. Making them think that there's snipers on him. Yeah. Just have green laser pointers. And then you realize it's fucking Badger and what's his face? You're like, oh my god. Uh, Skinny Skinny Pete. Pete. Yep. Skinny Pete! And of course, the funniest scene in television history, Badger talks about his Star Star Trek spec script. (laughs) About Uh. the the blueberry pie eating contest. (laughs) And that Chekhov keeps having Scotty beam him out of his stomach. <laughs> like one of the most serious dramatic shows ever written that has some of the best comedy. Dude, Breaking Breaking Bad, uh, Sopranos, Game of Thrones, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I wanted to mention that because they're putting out a book to continue the story. It's going to be about Willow's daughter becoming a slayer. Some of those shows have some of the funniest moments I've ever seen on a TV show. And usually it's in an episode with no new plot. Yeah. I mean, it, for, for Game of Thrones, some of the best comedy definitely comes from Tyrion. Mm-hmm. Uh, T- Tyrion, uh, Braun, and the Hound are the three that I think of when I think of the funniest you, characters. Earlier when you asked what some things that the show did better than the book, 
Braun as one of them. In the book, he's kind of, there's not a whole lot to him. He's kind of a two-dimensional, just gruff mercenary type character. The show fleshes him out so much better. It's probably because Jerome Flynn is just owning the character and having fun mm-hmm. with it. He does. He's so great in that. Also, I want to I wanna go back and do a tally between Braun and the Hound. Who says the C word the most? Because <laughs> that's, that's definitely their favorite Ooh. swear word. I think I think the Hound says it more often i think Braun has a bit of a better vocabulary but <laughs> yeah he is he is a hysterical friggin' character are you his son rickon my name is dickon and he just starts laughing <laughs> dickon i wouldn't be surprised up. if that wasn't scripted that also, I love the fact that uh, he dated Lita Headey and their breakup was so bad that the characters never appear on screen together. They have it in their contract that they can't work together. That's why when there's like the big meeting of all the houses, Braun is just like, hey, uh, Podrick, let's go. Let's go hit up the buffet or something and just walks mm-hmm. off so he doesn't have they, to be there. <laughs> they find a convenient way for him to get out of the scene. Oh, it's so funny. I love stuff like that makes me laugh. Little behind the scenes things. Yeah. Breaking Bad had some great comedy too, usually from Jesse. But you get you get some of the side characters who'd have some really funny quips now and again. Um, Sopranos, uh, that Pine Barrens episode is laugh out loud funny. It's it's so. That's friggin- what I was thinking of. There's like n- no story really except for that one guy that won't that won't die. Yeah. Um, but it's just hilarious. And then with the Breaking Bad, it's the one where there's a fly. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he just can't kill the damn fly. There's no story progression, but for And it's got, like, one of the highest ratings of any of the yeah. episodes. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. I watch I watch a lot of James Rolfe and the Angry Video Game Nerd, for people who don't know his real name. But when he, you know, he obviously does stuff as just James. And I remember he posted a video. He had finally gotten a chance to sit down and binge Breaking Bad for the first time, and he cited that as his favorite episode was the one with the fly. But he's that also to me at work the other night. I had a fruit fly that was obsessed with me, and I couldn't kill the damn thing. <laughs> Dude, I remember we had a we had we would always have flies bother us in the warehouse, and they would always hover around where we ate lunch, obviously. And there was a time where there was just a fly; it was just pissing me off. And I finally, I would always, I finally actually killed it with the newspaper. I remember, you know, you do, like, the thing where you're just like, ugh, you just swing at it to just get it to stop. I pick up the newspaper, there's a dead fly under it, and I was actually shocked at myself that I actually got the damn thing. Because mm-hmm. you can never, you can, it's like the Grimace, you can't kill the flies. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing can kill the Grimace. I wonder if it's because they're so much smaller, if they can perceive time slightly faster so they can see us moving they can, and know yes. where they're going to be. Yes, insect vision, uh, they can perceive us as much slower. They have faster... compound eyes. Yeah, they have faster response time. That's a science thing I learned from Neil deGrasse Tyson. He was doing a, he was doing a lecture with uh, Richard Dawkins. And they were, they were kind of breaking down. That's how, why, how, like, whenever they talk about what aliens might look like, Neil Tyson always gets upset that aliens are too anthropomorphic for his taste. That's why his favorite movie alien of all time is The Blob. Because that's all it is. It's just a blob. He's like, he's like, you know... Well, there's a reason why they're humanoid because it's usually, because for a long time it was a human being in a costume. Well, yes. <laughs> but yeah, but that's a... That was always an interesting point about how... Uh, 
about how like evolution progresses and everything and like there there's very well on another planet the evolutionary path could be more horse-like and they could be hyper-intelligent horse-like creatures it it all depends on the environment they grow up in but to a certain extent there is a reason why things like eyes have developed evolutionarily 16 separate times completely separately like certain things just work and it could be that a mostly humanoid figure is the best suited for survival and advancement of a species but well, that's why they say that, like, our appendix, eventually, we're not going to have it anymore. We're going to evolve out of it. That's going to be... A, that organ will not, not exist in our bodies in the future. Um, it is it is a vestigial remnant, a time. Yes. Something in our biology that was useful at one point in the past, but we no longer need it. No longer need it. Uh, same with, with body hair. Eventually, we're not going to have hair anymore. We're going to evolve past the need for it. That little, uh, when you pull the corner of your eyelid back and you see that little pink bit on the side, that's a remnant from when we used to have a horizontal eyelid like lizards. Yeah. This is how we evolve, people. <clears throat> so, you never know how evolution is going to work. Uh, Once let's... again, science. Science! <laughs> and physics and all that. Let's quickly wrap up our, uh, our Star Wars talk and discuss... Uh, that the Obi-Wan series has wrapped. So we're on the verge of getting that. And I'm really excited for that. It's only going to be six episodes. And I'm okay with that because I kind of like what they're doing now with these miniseries. Because they know exactly where they're going to go. And how they're going to flesh their story out. That's why even one of my favorite sitcoms of all time, The Big Bang Theory had a lot of drag out points in the later seasons because they just weren't wrapping anything up. Now, speaking of a great series finale, that was a perfect series finale to end all the character arcs and, and give, they gave the audience what they wanted with their finale. Great way to do it. I I'm totally on board with that. But that last season is a drag out affair to get to that point. And that's why I kind of like, I'll use Stranger Things as the example, because that's a show that I absolutely love. They know their next season is going to be their last one. So that show is going to have a decisive conclusion. Because nothing's worse Meanwhile, than... Meanwhile, Glow is just dead. Glow is just dead. And there's that was my counterexample. Yeah. Was that we, we should get one more season of Glow, but it's just not going to happen because... They're even trying to just get a movie. Like, just give us an... 90-minute movie. Well, sometimes that's how you have to wrap stuff up. Serenity? So. Uh, Star Wars The Bad Batch. We had a finale, which I watched thinking it was the last episode of the series and was extremely underwhelmed until I read later that they were like, nope, Bad Batch is coming back for another season. I'm like, okay, good. Because if that was the series finale, that was not good. But if it's a season finale, I accept that. Yeah, not that it was bad. It was just underwhelming. Yeah. It left too it much open. Like, this start mm-hmm. this part is done, but we still have a lot to worry about. So what are you what are your guys' overall thoughts on the Bad Batch? I really enjoyed it. I love the early Empire period. It's always fascinating to see how the Republic transforms everything to become the Empire. Mm-hmm. And how it starts. It starts with how uh, 
Clone Wars ends with the Order sixty six happening during mm-hmm. all once again events. another another perspective on seeing the Order, and you actually since... see a young Kanan, and you learn why he's so distrustful of clones because he was there watching his master get gunned down by the clones, while other clones saved him mm-hmm. because they're mutated and their chips don't work right. Yep. Yeah, that was a. I thought I thought it was really good, um, which is weird because these guys are just a throwaway. They were in one episode of the final season of previous of Clone Wars. Yeah, Clone mm-hmm. Wars was a uh, Clone Wars final season was twelve episodes, and it was split up into four. Four, uh, no, it was, it was three sections of four episodes. Yeah, well, you had the Ahsoka Bad Batch stuff, coming. you had the Ahsoka stuff, and then you had the final. Bad Batch, Ahsoka, and then the finale. Yep. So, yeah, they got four episodes yeah, out of these with guys. What Ahsoka's doing when we introduced to those two girls. We get one arc out of these guys, and it ends up becoming a whole thing. It's basically the A-team of Star Wars. Basically, yeah. And what's fun is they all the characters are interesting, and they have their own... They have extremely unique personalities, which is why they're interesting. Mm-hmm. And they they make that work, even including Echo in there, which mm-hmm. made sense because you he was... Echo? Echo? Oh, yeah, Echo? I, I sent Dan that meme. It was, uh, it was It was how Omega pronounces all their names. Rekka, Hanta. Echo? Echo? Is, Omega. Is, is her accent Australian or New Zealand? Uh, is she Kiwi? Is she Kiwi? My favorite thing is the credits because it's like D. Bradley Baker as the Bad Batch. He's he's all of them. He's mm-hmm. the entire Bad Batch. He's also Perry the Platypus. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to throw that out there because I have a kitty named Perry. Mm-hmm. Oh god, it was. I liked it. I I enjoyed the finale, and not knowing that it was a, a series finale. I knew so that it was Michelle Ong is from it, but... Christchurch, New Zealand. Ah, there you have it. So she's Kiwi. Their their accent is a bit more harsh than an Australian accent. Actually, I actually like that accent a lot. I think it's harder to do. <laughs> so she... my Australian always turns British. Yeah. Well, I mean that's not like that's an unfair comparison. If you know your world history. Hmm. My whole thing was always, uh, was like, what, what accent is that? Can you be a little, a little more bushwhacker, a little less Nathan Jones? Good day, Taiki. <laughs> did I tell the Nathan Jones story on this podcast? I, well, I hope sure you did. I, I'm I sure did. I did. I think so. It sounds familiar. I probably, I probably told Eric that. Uh, real quick, I'll recap for people. So in case they're wondering, but there was an Australian wrestler named Nathan Jones who did many, many years for armed robbery in an infamous Australian prison called Bago Road. And the only thing that he could do while he was in prison, like all prisoners do, is work out. And he took a crap ton of steroids so much that his chest swelled and he began to lactate which created a very, very long joke on our old wrestling podcast about any time Nathan Jones would show up, he would be lactating and there would be milk jokes and it was disgusting. It was absolutely disgusting, gross material. And I laughed every time. He was also huge. He was like six foot eight. And he sucked. (laughs) 
He was so bad that they did a segment on SmackDown, a national television show. One of the cardinal rules of pro wrestling was always, if you got TV time, don't waste it. They did a segment on SmackDown where The Undertaker was actually teaching him how to run the ropes, which is one of the most basic things that you learn in wrestling school. On TV, because that was Undertaker training him so he could be his tag team partner. And he was so bad that they didn't even let him be Undertaker's tag team partner at WrestleMania that year. They beat him up in the bathroom on the pre-show, and Taker had to go two-on-one. Against the big show and a train. And a train, yes, because <laughs> Matt Bloom was called the A-Train at the time, but it would just look like a train. He made the great Kali look good, because at least Kali knew his limitations and worked within them. Kali was also a linguist, so... But also, people actually know who the great Kali is, because he's been in a bunch of movies. Mm-hmm, just because of his height and... And his appearance, he's... Mm-hmm. And he was a police officer. Can you imagine a guy that looks like that pulling you over? I'd wet myself. Even if I did absolutely nothing wrong. Do you think it is funny when I drive my police automobile? (laughs) I demand trial by combat. All right, bring out Officer Clegane. Uh, No, I I forfeit. So you die? So yes. Oh, God. Good old... See, we could circle everything back to where mm-hmm. we were before. Uh, since we, since I did bring up wrestling real quick, I want to touch on something that did happen in pro wrestling this week. Uh, the return of CM Punk to the world of professional wrestling, which got everybody talking. And they should be. So I'm, I, for one, am very happy to see him back. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the All Elite Wrestling television show, because there's stuff on the show that isn't for me as a wrestling fan. I prefer psychology over spots. And they have a lot of people who do spots over psychology. And that's fine. There's an audience for that. It's not my audience. But I'm a CM Punk fan. So I plan to tune in and watch everything he does. It's kind of like I don't actively watch WWE anymore. But if it's Sasha Banks or Becky Lynch or Adam Cole or someone like that or Cesaro... I watch that stuff. I find those clips and I watch that because I like those people and I want to see them. That makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, welcome back, CM Punk. I'm happy. I'm very, very happy. Hell yeah! And the first thing he does is in two weeks he's wrestling one of their young up and comers. Yep, and a really good young up and comer too. Kid yeah. with a bright future. People have compared him to the modern day. Jeff Hardy, which is hysterical because Jeff Hardy is still an active wrestler. But that's that's who Darby Allen is. He's the small underdog. He's a very small guy in stature, but he's a and no... He what he takes to throw himself at. He literally, his finisher is a coffin drop, where he just jumps off the top rope backwards and lands on you. Yep. <laughs> and he, uh, he lays his shit in. He actually looks like he's fighting for real. Those are always the pro wrestlers I gravitate towards. The guys who actually look like they're having a fight. That's why I like watching Strong Style. Exactly. That's why I like watching Strong Style. That's why anytime I watch an Ishii match, I'm like, that guy's getting killed. And you know what? He probably is. (laughs) Those Strong Style guys are are friggin' awesome. Brian, you're you're a wrestling guy. Who are some of your favorite wrestlers? 
I've gone through a lot of different phases. I, I haven't watched regularly since like 2012 or 2013. If I had to pick an all-time favorite, it'd probably be Kane. Okay. That's a good one. I think even most people listening to this show who don't know wrestling know who Kane is. Uh, Brock Lesnar, when he first debuted, was, like, I still remember the night, Raw, the draft night where he came and just annihilated almost the entire roster the entire roster <laughs> i remember that because one of them was maven <laughs> so <laughs> yeah and that's just it like brock lesnar became a uh became a mainstream name his success in ufc because he was one of the fastest rising ufc champions mm-hmm. and that was and literally post yep. fight interview at ufc 100 uh yes i'm gonna go home and bang my wife I might just get on top of my wife. I've heard conflicting things from a couple different people that have met him, and some people say he's really nice, and some people say he's kind of a douche. Uh, uh, probably, de- probably depends on the day you talk to him. He but. literally lives on a farm so isolated that when Paul Heyman has to call him on the phone, they have to schedule a time because he has to drive to the end of his driveway, which is the only place that has a phone so he can make the phone call. He hates people and likes to be far away from them. But I'm sure, like can, anything else, he's got his good days. I can days. appreciate that. <laughs> yes. I think, like anything else, he's got his good days. But yes, from what I understand, he is more on the bad side than good when it comes to being a personality. But Yeah, he's, he's so anti-person. People, he, uh, living outside of Alexandria, Minnesota, wasn't far enough away from people. He went to <laughs> the middle of nowhere in Saskatchewan. <laughs> like, I think even CM Punk tells a story where he... Like, he got a bad rap for being a jerk to a fan, but he opened up and told the story about this was a guy he was waiting at an airport on a flight, and he had earbuds in, and the guy walked up and pulled the earbuds out of his ear to try to get an autograph. And he blew up at him, obviously. Yeah. I would, too. I would, too. (laughs) Well, he told the story about when he was at the hockey game with AJ and how they're running, you know, they're running to the, the stand to get food during intermission and they're fumbling to get cash together because the credit card machines are down and all the stuff's going on. Some guy's like, yo, Phil, let me get a picture. And he's like, no, because you're rude to me. He goes, here's the thing. I took pictures with four other people that night. You know why? Because they came up to me and they said, hey, CM Punk, I'm a big fan. Would it be okay if we took a picture? And he's like, they were polite. They introduced themselves. They were respectful. So I took a picture with them. He goes, this guy was a dick. So... No picture for you. And then he's the one that goes online. He's like, see, Punk's an asshole. He told me off. And Punk's like, you know what would have been really helpful? If those other four fans went online and were like, hey, see, Punk's awesome. Show the other side of the story. <laughs> exactly. I, everybody's got those moments. I've, of, I've often thought about that, too. Like, if I was ever approached in public and I had some fame to me and somebody wanted to, like, you know, talk to me or get a picture or whatever, an autograph or something. And I, I, I'm sure that there would be times when it would irritate me, but the things that would probably irritate me would be the obvious stuff. Like if I'm out at a restaurant and you're bugging me while I'm eating, I would probably just say, would it be okay if you come up to me when we're done? You can come grab me as I'm on my way out. We could take the picture then. Like, just don't bother me while I'm eating. If I'm on to the, the point phone, where it- gets in the way of your personal life then yeah yeah if i'm on the phone or i've got earbuds in or i'm got my penis in my hand because i'm peeing that's... then no i'm not gonna give you an autograph 
there's a guy at my work that always likes to strike up a conversation at the urinal, and that is not the time I want to be talking oh, to people. The where- so one good thing about my new job is that all the bathrooms are single bathrooms. It's just the one the one little room with the toilet and the sink. So I no longer have that issue because at the warehouse, I always had people who'd come in and immediately try to talk to me. And I'm like, I'm at work and my penis is in my hand. This is not or even worse. I'm in the stall and they're at the urinal and they try to talk to me. I'm talking to you, John. <laughs> no way he's hearing this. I'm going to call him out. <laughs> yeah, Wally. I'll call out Wally. He's so old. I don't even... So this coworker of mine, I've actually talked about him on the show before because he's a really nice guy, but he's, you know, that super old, weird guy that you work with. He still goes to the excitement video to get his porn because he he only recently discovered that the Internet had porn, kind of like Quagmire. He only just discovered this. My guy, there's a much easier way you could be doing this. (laughs) And the best part is he's. He's having this conversation with me, right? And of course he's like, I've been watching a lot of Miley Cyrus clips. And I just give him the look and I said, you have an entire internet in front of you. And you're going with just Miley Cyrus. I said, that, my friend, is a waste of your internet. (laughs) (laughs) That's a waste of your internet, sir. Oh... What if he had gotten the internet earlier? What if Anakin Skywalker actually liked sand? Have you oh, ever asked? That'll, that'll be the first episode of the Star Wars What If series. <laughs> have you ever asked the question, <laughs> What If? Dan, have you ever asked the question, What If? Sure. Well, can you yeah. answer it for us, please? What if what? Anakin Skywalker likes sand? This is a segue. I know, and that's why I'm denying it. I'm I'm not the you yes son and of a bitch. Guy. I am a no but guy. Uh, you you've been blocked. Of... You son of a. You mean bitch. talking about Marvel's What If series on the Disney Plus? Is that what you're talking about? Obviously. And if there's been two episodes out so far. I have seen the first one. I haven't seen the second one yet. The first one is, what if you weren't a jerk? No. <laughs> what if Peggy Carter got the super soldier serum instead of Steve Rogers and she became Captain and America? And so what they're kind of doing is they're doing a major change and then telling you pretty much how the rest of that movie would go. That's what it is. It's pretty much Captain America, the first Avenger, but just with that scenario with Peggy Carter as Captain America. And of America. course, so what ends up happening is is instead of going up into the viewing area, the the Hydra guy is down there with them because Peggy decides to stay down there. So he does his attack early. It stops Steve from getting the serum. And then Peggy ends up jumping in. And she... Uh, like almost immediately gets the tesseract. <laughs> she has to deal with a lot of that good old nineteen forties misogyny. Yes. But by by the time she starts sneaking out and doing things and then they actually give her jobs. She'd like they're just like, Oh, we hear this and she just immediately takes down some trucks and then there's Arnim Zola with the freaking Tesseract. 
It is like, the entire geez. plot of the movie squished down into a half hour, so it does feel kind of fast forwarded. That's still and pretty then, cool, And then it comes to the point where they find out that Bucky's missing and there's a whole platoon missing. And they're like, we should go get them. And she's like, sure. And then all of a sudden, they're like, where's Steve? And then you realize that Howard Stark made the Mark I armor. And that's what Steve's using. And he's being called the Hydra Stomper. I was getting major Iron Giant vibes watching that. Yeah. So it's Captain Carter and the Hydra Stomper just whooping Hydra ass for like the rest of the movie. They save the Howling Commandos. And they do all the things. They whip Red Skull's ass. And then, yeah, Red Skull's backup plan is to, like, bring Cthulhu through a time gate or something. Get control and, of this, like, interdimensional monster that he thinks is going to help him rule the world. And it just starts killing everybody. And well, yeah, so, kills him halfway through his speech. <laughs> that, that sounds very Cthulhu-like. Yeah. And so she sacrifices herself by having to use all, all the strength she has to push it through the portal that she portal goes through it, through it with him. With it. And then pops back out in the modern day timeline with Nick Fury greeting her. Yep. Just the beginning just like of Steve Avengers. Coming out of the iceberg. Well, this is supposed to be the beginning of the Avengers where they're doing tests on the Tesseract, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, somebody's coming out of it, and it's Captain Carter. Comes out of the Tesseract. And that's that. That's that one. But episode two, boy, that's if, that's what if T'Challa became Star-Lord? And so the story goes, I'm not going to go too far because neither of you have seen it. Uh, But it goes that he had, Yondu is tasked to get Ego's kid, right? And he doesn't do it himself. He has Kraglin and Taserface do it, and they just... There was alien stuff all over the place! That was the Vibranium, and he left the... the, uh... the secret... the secrecy of the... the, um... the shield over Wakanda, and so they just grabbed the first kid outside this magic area. (laughs) And they're like... This doesn't look like Peter Quill to me. <laughs> and you're like, oh well. <laughs> and then it goes down to, uh, yeah, what happens? And apparently, everything in the universe is better with T'Challa as Star Lord as opposed to Peter Quill. That actually sounds about right. <laughs> Until you get to the ending, where we find out what Peter Quill's doing. Peter Quill is working at the Dairy Queen, and Ego shows up. Oh, boy. Because they're like, but there is one bad thing that probably happened. What would Ego's preferred blizzard at Dairy Queen, you think, be? What do psychopaths eat? (laughs) No, he would just get, like, whatever, whoever else, the person before him gets is what he'll just get the same one, because he's supposed to be a regular human. He'd be one of those monsters that get, like, a Snickers blizzard with Skittles in it or something. (laughs) Uh, or he'll like go vanilla on something that definitely should be mixed with chocolate or chocolate with something that should be definitely mixed with vanilla like brown like, like brown chocolate and gummy worms or something 
Yeah. Oh yeah, or vanilla and Reese's. <laughs> that's actually pretty Reese's. good. That's actually pretty good. I I can't. That's the thing though. Vanilla ice cream. There's no wrong combination with chocolate I'm ice cream. I'm team vanilla there's... over team chocolate. Yeah, that's the thing with chocolate ice cream. There are lots of limitations. <laughs> Because chocolate is such a strong flavor, it'll overpower a lot of the fillings that you could put in there. I have a candy review for you guys. The other day... um, So do I. So do I. But I'll let you go first. Okay. On the other day at work, at my lunch break, I went to Sheets, and I tried the new Skittles gummies for the first time. Ooh. Yes. I would like to give them an official review. They get a 2 out of 10. Would not recommend. Aw. That's a combination of two things that I'm not into, so... Yes. What is it like a Skittle shell with a gummy inside? What no, it's inside? just a gummy that has that's supposed to taste like a Skittle. But oh. Skittles work for me. They have an aftertaste that I don't like. They have a weird aftertaste, and I was I was kind of over it at that point. And like whatever flavor of Skittle you don't like, so for me that would be the yellow ones. Uh, the bad taste is actually amplified in the aftertaste. Whereas, like, I can eat a whole thing of yellow Skittles, and I'm not happy about it, but I like Skittles, so I'll eat them. But no, well, like, I, I wouldn't be able okay, to do this. Okay, what are these gummies? Like, what are the size? What is the shape? It's, I mean, it's bigger than your average Skittle. It's like... They are round like a Skittles shape. It's like the size of a sweet tart, if I'm going to do a comparison but for it's, you. It's like a little gummy disc? It's a whole of... gummy disc, and it's got an S on it. Like a, like a 3D S. You can move your finger across and feel it. It's like it's like a little bit bigger than a gusher. Actually, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. And I'm really glad I got the small bag because I was about to get a big bag of them. And I was like, no, let me get the small bag and try them because what if I don't like them? Mm-hmm. And then I actually didn't like them. Now, of course, they have them in the multiple flavors. I got the classic flavor because I wanted to start with that. Maybe the tropical ones are better, but I'm not ex- ex- going to just like jump back in and find it. Whereas I've bought a bag of the Airhead candies, where it's like the little candy discs, that they're just like mini concentrated Airheads, and I've ate an entire bag of those, and those are amazing. Airheads are great. They almost just disintegrate in your mouth. They're so good. I love Airheads. All right, what's your candy review? Mine is Fruity Cereal Flavored Kit Kat. Ooh, okay, I'm interested to hear this. And even though they don't call it that, it's very obviously meant to be like a Fruit Loops. Okay. It was pretty pebbles, yeah. Yeah, and it tastes just like how you'd think. It tastes like like a Fruit Loop, but in like that chocolate, like a white chocolate wafer Kit Kat form. Okay. <clears throat> it, it, is, it is so good. 12 out of 10. Wood oh, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. 11 oh, wow. thumbs up. <laughs> uh, I found I, it at Walmart, but of course you could probably get it other places too. The one thing I love about Sheets is Sheets carries uh, a super variety of drinks. They have so much variety. They've got like obscure flavors and everything. Then I, that's how I discovered uh, Fago was through Sheets and through Rudders, which is another local gas station. I mean, not not through ICP like most people. No, I I just. <laughs> It, what's really funny is, of course, I I bought a Fago, and I'm like, I'm trying this new flavor of soda I just discovered. And the first person who responded was Carver Cross, my indie wrestler buddy whose gimmick is that he's a juggalo. Yeah. 
And he was the first person who responded, and he wrote whoop whoop, and he had the clown emojis going. And I immediately, I'm like, okay, is there a connection here? And I Googled it. I'm like, okay, yup, yup, okay, I get it. And that's why everybody's making ICP references. I'm not an ICP guy, Do you remember guy, what so. flavor it was? A Fago? Yeah. Oh, I've tried all of them at this point. Okay. Uh, the grape is really, the blue is the best. The grape is really good. Uh, the strawberry or cher- or whatever berry that they have, the there's there's two red ones. There's like a pinkish one and then a darker. Those are both really good. Uh, Fago is, you know, you know why Fago exists? There a story? I, I there's got to be a story. Okay, this is what I heard. I believe it's because it was it was the forties, and the Nazis wouldn't take Coca Cola. I accept this. That's so. Canon. Coca-Cola made a secondary, cheaper variety so they could sell it to the Nazis. <laughs> now, you could take that with a grain of salt because I didn't see it on, like, Wikipedia or anything like that. So, Hashtag you can, whoop find, whoop. you can find a list of companies that sold to Nazi Germany in the years before U.S. entered World War II. Yeah, and I'm pretty like, sure Coca-Cola, Ford, had a and suddenly Chase Banker on there. It's like, yeah, suddenly one entire country wasn't buying your product anymore, and you had to figure out how to get back in that country. You're, you re- you realize the reason why we're not in that country is because it's evil as fuck right now. Have you seen some of the great old cartoons that have gotten banned over the years, but they were anti, anti-war anti propaganda, anti-Nazi propaganda? My all-time favorite one is Defeater's Face, Donald Duck, where he has a nightmare that he's... Uh, He's in Nazi Germany, and the whole yep, thing, I... it just rips on... It rips on everybody. It rips on Hitler, it rips on Mussolini, and it rips on Hirohito. And he's, you know, but he's of making... Hirohito was going to have all the classics, like his eyes don't even open, and his teeth are humongous. And oh, yeah. yeah. And Mussolini is, of course, doing the the wide Italian gestures and everything. He's talking with the hands, and... Yeah, they they made sure to do that really well. I, I had found another one more recently. And recently would still be a couple years ago at this point, but it was a it was a Merry Melodies cartoon. And do you remember the gremlins that Bugs Bunny would fight like on the edge of the plane? They would, no. they would be like little gremlins. They look like little alien type creatures. They actually used it when Tiny Toon Adventures did their parody of the Twilight Zone, and. They did Plucky Duck as the uh, the passenger in the airplane, the William Shatner role, where he does a Shatner impression the whole time. They actually use that caricature of a gremlin as the gremlin on the airplane. Like, that's where that design came from, these old Looney Tune cartoons. Well, in this one, it's Hitler flying a plane. He's, he's taking matters into his own hands, and the gremlin spends the entire cartoon just fucking with him. Good God, these some of these cartoons were. I mean, they were fun for their their propaganda. Also, some of them got banned because Bugs Bunny would dress in blackface and scream "Massa Massa" at Yosemite Sam as playing the rich white sharecropper. Those cartoons also got banned, but they're not as fun. I, I'd I'd rather see the anti-Hitler propaganda than the other stuff. An awful racist blackface. But you can, I mean, you can find that stuff on the YouTube. 
Has anybody ever actually seen the Song of the South movie? Mm-mm. I've really had no interest. I've only seen the things that went, that made it to the sing-along song, so I know, like, Skippity-Doo-Dah. Skippity-Doo-Dah. But, like, yeah. Everybody knows Zippity-Doo-Dah. But, yeah. Uh, here's the thing about that movie. It's kind of boring. <laughs> so... You don't actually have a need to see it. And it, re- it actually wasn't. Everybody used to say it was always, it was Uncle Remus that did it, right? It, it, it was not Uncle Remus. It was the Tar Baby. 100% the Tar Baby. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Br'er Rabbit and the Tar Baby. You know what? Just cut that and be done with it. We had this conversation on a previous episode. What's a movie that should be redone? Because, you know, they always try to redo good movies that don't need it. What about a movie that was kind of bad, like people have always talked about they should remake Aragorn and stuff like that, that were disappointments. And I was like, ooh, ooh, I got one, Song of the South. Remake it. You can still tell the story. You just have to remove what some of the elements of the story are. You could still make it a folktale. Just, I don't know. I'm just, I never really understood that. It's only really noteworthy because of the controversy, not so much that it had anything that particularly important to it. Right, that's why I watched that Escape from Tomorrow independent film, because it was shot at Disney without their permission or knowledge, and (laughs) it was super controversial as a result, and ended up being the single worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life. And (laughs) I was so miserable. That was the first time I ever forced myself to finish a movie, because I told myself, I say, you have to. My rule is to rank a movie on my worst list. I have to have watched the whole thing. I can't have rage quit it. And I said, you know what? I said, this is easily going to be the worst movie ever. I have to finish this to ensure that it gets to that point. That's one of the only times I've ever had to stop a movie and finish it the next day. Because usually I'm nice and invested. But nope, not that one. That one was just a chore. Uh, It was definitely a chore. But I can claim it as my least favorite movie of all time because I sat through the whole thing. Sometimes I'll see a movie and I'll go against popular opinion and actually really like it, even though the general populace doesn't. And that was Suicide Squad that came out a few years ago. I had a good time with that movie and I really liked it. Yes, I can nitpick it too, but I still had a good time. But they decided they needed to do it again and do it better. And I think they did. What do you guys think? And they gave it to the king of the ensemble superhero movies. James Gunn. Well, I guess the the strange ensemble, Chris. Uh. <laughs> I'm Star Lord, man. Come on. Oh, by yeah. By the way, it starts with that on the T'Challa one. Is it's him there, and he goes, "You might know me as Star Lord." <laughs> and uh, we'll let me find out what the reaction is. So. What are our thoughts on the, the Suicide Squad? I really liked it. it. My problem with the first one is I enjoyed it for what it was. It was cool to see those characters on screen. But I felt like there was a lot of different visions and a lot of different input trying to happen at once. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, it was almost entirely James Gunn just doing a dumb, fun, stupid thing. And that's all it needed to be. And it worked so well. It didn't take itself too seriously. There were some actual good character development moments in it, like with Ratcatcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but it didn't I try to go too serious. I agree. That's a. I think that's a really good assessment. Dan, 
Plus, that's the only way you were probably going to ever get Starro in a DC movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> we got a kaiju in this bitch. Uh, I'm in favor of anything Harley Quinn. That's my favorite comic book character. Like, absolutely my favorite. So I am always in favor of anything Harley Quinn. I, I loved Margot Robbie's portrayal of her in Suicide Squad. I have not yet seen Birds of Prey. But I've I haven't either. A, I've heard good things about it. I have it's, a fun, it's a fun time. Yeah, I, I've heard some really good stuff about it. For my money, though, the best casting in that movie, Viola Davis is Amanda Waller. Oh, my God. Same Her, with the first one. She is such a stone-cold bitch, and it's great. She plays it right, but she doesn't... Amanda Waller is freaking supposed to be CCH Pounder or Esipatha uh, Emerson, physically. I don't know my comic lore, so. <laughs> Amanda Waller's a little fat. Oh, okay. I remember that from the Justice League cartoon, but. But then they're like, in Arrow, Amanda Waller is fucking hot. <laughs> <laughs> Different portrayals, yeah. Yeah. But one of the things I actually enjoyed was, uh, that Harley took a little more, uh, a little more of her accent back because I remember that was a common complaint that I heard about the first one was Margot Robbie didn't even attempt to sound like Harley. She just kind of spoke. And I was like, you know what? I could see that as sort of being a legitimate, a legitimate thing. But then the new cartoon came out, and Kaylee Kuoko doesn't do an accent, and it. But she kind of owns that character in her own respect, so. I don't know, I guess it's... There's two different ways to look at it. You can try to do your best to emulate the pre-established thing, or you can take it and make it your own own. and do something new with it. Yeah, exactly. And they both work, assuming you can do it well. No, I think they were both done really well. I thought Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn is great, and I really liked Kaylee Cuoco's Harley Quinn, so... That takes nothing away from the original Harley Quinn on Batman the Animated Series, because that's just friggin' fantastic, but... Harley and Sorkin, yeah. Yeah, just, I love the, uh... I I love that portrayal, and I thought she did great in this movie. And I also love that, like... I think that was sort of an issue with the first Suicide Squad, was... They wanted to establish other characters, too, but they were too focused on making Harley the focal point. Which is why I'm glad they gave her her own movie so she could do her own thing. And this one focused more on Peacemaker and Flag. Mm-hmm. And that's not to, to take anything away from Harley, but I, I like that they let the other characters shine here. Well, yeah, that's why she, like, disappears for half the movie, right? Yeah. That's the best. You guys came to save me? I mean, yeah, I we... can go up and do it again, and you can do the thing. <laughs> we had a plan. It was a good plan, too. <laughs> Yeah, oh, man, was... that section. Actually, it jump-scared me when she shoots him, because I was expecting to let him talk. I was like, oh, she's going to kill him. But I was expecting her to let him talk and then shoot him. Well, she so, did a oh, serial killer on him. I was like, she's going to shoot him, right? And then all of a sudden, boom, and I'm like, oh, shit! <laughs> There's a reason you see them bumping up against all the weapons and guns and stuff. <laughs> I love that scene when she's just flat out murdering everybody in the building and it's like, it turns into the flowers flowers and the birds. Yeah. You're like, oh, right. She is actually insane. 
Oh, yeah. By the way, that movie hated birds. Like, hated them. Oh, I know. When he lit the, the, it even, the bird. It even starts with a bird birds. murder with the handball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Friggin' Yondu. What the hell? Oh, can we talk about the beginning of the movie? Because, like, you know, you saw the things, and you saw, like, there's, like, 20 people in this movie, and you're like, half of them have to die. Yeah, I thought, like, right away. In the opening scene. <laughs> none of these people in the first squad were in the trailer, so they're they're not going to last long. <laughs> Nathan Fillion. Yeah, there was, there was, that was really good. My favorite was uh, the guy with the detached arms. They're just machine gunning the arms, and he's just writhing in pain on the ground. <laughs> Was he, so I know that there is a really obscure character that's listed as, like, one of the worst heroes ever created named Arm Falloff Boy. Yeah, it's him. It's him. Okay, that's what I thought, that it was a nod to him. That's him. And when then, does a superpower become a disability? <laughs> and the weasel. The weasel. Someone kind of is like a... What the what hell is, is that thing? Yeah, a dog? He agreed to do this, we think. We think, yeah. He's not dangerous. I mean, he's dangerous. He killed like 43 kids, but... (laughs) And of course, King Shark. King Shark's the best in everything. Even the completely different portrayal with freaking Ron Funches as King Shark in the Harley Quinn cartoon. I know. Where he's the intellectual, tech-savvy one. Yeah, and it's Ron Funches. Even Clayface is great in that. Oh my god, I love Clayface. I love it because it's freaking Alan Tudyk, and he's also Joker in that show. Yeah, he is. <laughs> and it's just like, oh my god, I can portray a little girl. Just leave me the reins. <laughs> oh yeah, and the reveal that he was like the one girl in the college for like three episodes. <laughs> yup. <laughs> oh, that show is that show is so great. You know, you know what that that show has in common with the Suicide Squad is that it's. All gratuitous violence, but it's funny. It's funny violence, and I can appreciate that stuff. Over the it, top, it's so over the top. It's funny. It's funny, and it was right. creative too. It did some stuff that you haven't really seen on screen before. Yeah, like King Shark literally doing a Mortal Kombat fatality, ripping a guy down like in half vertically. Yup. Because <laughs> they. Oh could, yeah. They by the way, okay. So the, that scene, did you? I, I the entire time I was like. Oh no! Flag got picked up by Freedom Fighters. Like that's what my, that was my thought the entire time. I didn't realize that until they walked in to them eating dinner. I'm like, oh, oh shit! Yeah, I was like, as soon as he got grabbed, I was like, Freedom Fighters. <laughs> or the one they're going through, and the one guy's on the table, and Peacemaker just goes through with the axe, just yeah, so nonchalantly. Oh, that was so funny! And then they're just like, hey. Where's all my and guys? They have like the guy in the tower, and they can't get him, and so he freaking uses the uses his. You see what dots. polka dot man can do? Yeah, he uses the polka dots and just completely docks down the tower. I'm a motherfucking superhero. <laughs> Smosh. Yeah, how about that? Polka dot man is one of the last remaining characters. He does die, but he's one of the last. And that's a cool thing too that they can take. So with pre-established characters like the Batman and the Superman and stuff, they're established. You can't take a whole lot of liberties with their character, but you take something super obscure like Polka Dot Man, you can do whatever you want with him. That's kind and of... they take 
they take such a goofy, like, jokey, nothing character, and they explain his backstory in about 10 seconds, and it works, and it moves on. Just my mom worked at Star Lab. She was obsessed with trying to make one of her kids a superhero. And it worked, but she tortured me, and I hate her. That he essentially has, he's essentially like a conduit to some other dimension. where and he has to expel these from. dots, or they'll overtake him, and he'll explode or something works it works for character development and god when you see his mom as all the different characters oh, yeah. the giants oh god he's like where is where is your mom everywhere and then it says everybody is his mom i yeah. thought you were supposed to be the crazy one i am well that's why that's oh, why guardians of the galaxy works so well right that's why james gunn's the perfect person for, for the suicide squad it's a ragtag group that has to come together. And they're coming from somewhat obscurity, because Guardians of the Galaxy wasn't one of the more well-known Marvel properties. At least that's what I've been told. He also he also did a very good job, because this is literally... the Most of the people that are in this movie are the current Suicide Squad in the comics, and it was the same with the Guardians of the Galaxy. It was like literally the newest team that debuted like within less than a year of the movie. There you have it. That that's always when they can find somebody who is a fan of the source material. Because they literally redid the Suicide Squad like this year. Yeah, I, I highly recommend the Suicide Squad. Everyone, like, it's good. It was Even good. though we've spoiled it all the heck at this point. Uh, it's been two weeks. Or maybe it's just been one. I don't know. By the way, I did. I the um, HBO Max said seven p.m. on Thursday, and when did it, when did I watch that movie? Like six fifty-five. Yeah, I was. I was like, I'm gonna watch it at seven, and I hit the button, and it's the play button was there, and I was like, shit. So it's six fifty-seven. I was watching it. That was how I always worked when I had a. HBO Go before it became HBO Max or whatever with the new Game of Thrones when it would be like 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock whatever time it was supposed to start you would you would hit the refresh and you'd see it there you're like this is it like let's we're doing this play button play button for the first here. couple of years I worked overnight so I had to wait until the morning after I got off of work to watch the new Game of Thrones episode just stay off at least you were at work at least, yeah, at least you were at work right so... yeah at least once it did get spoiled for me, because yeah, I was dumb and I didn't stay off of Facebook. <laughs> well, I still say, I still say the golden rule with a TV show is forty-eight hours. I say, I say two weeks for movies. Well, in theater movies, I guess we can kind of. I think, I think forty-eight hours is the fair, the fair time frame, because if you're that dedicated to a TV show, that you're gonna find a time to watch it within that forty-eight hour window. I think that is fair. People go, what about spoiling WWE stuff? I'm like, that's a sporting event that's happening live. There are no spoilers. Because that, that, that's the whole spoiler argument, right? Is there's, there's both sides of it, and I understand both sides. On the one hand, yes, you're a dick for spoiling it the second it came out. Because you had a chance to watch it, and other people can't. Because they have different schedules than you. You're just being a dick. On the other hand... 
If you're that concerned about people being dicks, then you need to exercise some self-control and stay the hell off of social media. They're excited and they want to share their experience with other people. Yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. As opposed to the asshole that the, 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 the famous story of the person that got the copy of Half-Blood Prince early and literally went to a mall where people were waiting in line to get their copy and said that Snape kills Dumbledore on page whatever. Yeah, that would uh, that would piss me off. Is that where that meme came from? I didn't know that yeah. that was a thing that actually Somebody happened. actually did it. Somebody actually got like the got it a day or two before read it and went to some place where everyone was in line waiting to get the book and yelled to the group. That Snape kills Dumbledore. I hope somebody beat the crap out of him. So Vader was Luke's father the whole time, walking out of the theater in front of a hey, long line. Kid. They did that on The Simpsons. Yep. <laughs> Who would have thought that Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father? Ah, oh, thanks a lot, man. Uh, well, speaking of things we're going to spoil, uh, Dan is going to spoil a <laughs> very old anime. Well, not old. The original series came out in the 80s in Japan, so... But Dan has been watching Dragon Ball. Yeah, I did uh, season seven, which is the Tien Shin Han saga, and the twenty second martial arts tournament that are now every three years because it did so well last time. Sounds about right. That's actually how that's actually how the, a lot of those things work. This is popular. We're going to do more of them. So what are your thoughts on this season as we uh, we do a quick recap? There's a good redemption arc with Tien. Guess he just come back. Yeah, he doesn't really stay a villain for that long. No, just because he's of kind of part, under the thumb of the crane school guy. He's yes. a real dick. That guy's a dick. He's got a freaking crane on his head like a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> like a nerd. I do like how we get different fighters this time than before. Of course, we get uh, What's-His-Face shows up, but he gets eliminated early because Tien's a dick at the time, so he freaking kills him almost. Is that Nam? Yeah, Nam, Nam shows up, but he gets eliminated by Tien. And the preliminaries. And, the... and, then he, and he breaks freaking Yamcha's leg. Yep. In the first round of the actual tournament. And then we get the man-wolf, because he's been stuck in wolf form for three years, because the moon got destroyed at the previous martial arts championship. <laughs> I forgot about that. And so he tricks him. He tricks his curse into believing the moon is out by looking at Krillin's head. I and thought I'm that was like, cool. If you could do that, then you could trick Goku into becoming the ape again. Yup, he could. Goku, look at Krillin's head. Doesn't it look like the moon? Oh shit, everyone dies. What about the big reveal that uh, Master Shen is actually the brother of General Tao? Yeah. A grand mercenary tower or whatever? Yep, yep. His older brother, I think. Tau is not dead, though, you dumb fucks! 
He is not. He is not. Everyone thinks he's dead. And then there's the part where Roshi's like, oh shit, he's killed somebody. That's not good. <laughs> What'd you think of uh, Pomput? The... Trying to... I think that's how you say you say that character's name if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Or Pumput or Pamput. He's like he's basically like the uh the he's basically like a world boxer kind of guy. Kinda looks like Afro Samurai a little bit. Oh, the Jackie Chan guy or whatever the heck. Yeah, the guy the movie guy? Yeah. He's like he's like a big star in movies and everything and Oh, and he gives the wall the juice effect. Like, it, like, yeah, it's got it's got interesting characters. I always like how these tournaments have the interesting characters in them. Like, because I remember in, in the last one you had uh, the big dragon, like pterodactyl guy, because dinosaurs are a thing in this world. But I, I think Manwolf was probably my favorite one, just because of that whole storyline. And also, will Yamcha ever make it past the first round? Probably not. Probably not. But then, you have to tell us about how the season ends. Yes, they're all just going to have a victory dinner together because Tien wins because another bullshit last-second change to the rules. Whichever one... Land second wins. Fucking always screwing over your boy Goku in the martial arts tournament. Because he gets hit by a car. <laughs> oh, God. So they're going to have a triumphant dinner together because Tien's good now. And they even ask him if he would just join the turtle group, and he's like, I can't. Yeah, he's a, he's a have, crane student. I, yeah, I have to have some kind of jumping, you know, to my master. So they're going to go to a fancy dinner, and Goku realizes that he forgot his power pole and his dormant Dragon Ball at the arena. So he's going to go get him real quick, and then Krillin's like, I'll go get him. And Goku's like, eh. Uh, uh, Krillin leaves. And then, it's been a while. Krillin doesn't come back. I think we should just eat it anyway. And then Goku senses something's wrong, and he goes back, and the you see him on the ground with the commentator guy. And the commentator guy comes through, and he's like, "The monster came through and took the stuff, and and killed Krillin." And I was like, "God damn it, Krillin already doing the Krillin thing." <laughs> you have you have entered Krillin death number one. I was like, it's like one of the things I knew about before I even started the show is that Krillin dies, LOL. Hi, I'm Krillin, and welcome to Deathloop. <laughs> I love the comic where it's Shenron, and he's like, you can grant you any wish. Oh, hey, Goku. Yeah, I'll go ahead and bring Krillin back now. <laughs> he just knows. But the first time it happens, it's a big deal. Krillin is just murdered. By some monster or whatever. Yeah, it gets uh You're 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 getting to the best se- series of the original Dragon Ball now. 
Yeah, so next is King Piccolo. Yes. So. Which is, in the original Dragon Ball, this is easily the best the best series. Like, don't get me wrong. There's other good stuff, too. The Pilaf stuff is fun because it establishes a lot of characters. But it's, you know, he's not a real threat. He's a goofball. Uh, the Red Ribbon Army's kind of a threat, but they're still human. This is your first, like, more powerful being that you're going to face is King Piccolo. Red Ribbon Army arc is cool because it does a lot of world building. Yeah, no, you're right about that. The Red Ribbon Army. Yeah, because yeah, the, the first arc is like telling you these are the main characters and this is a big central premise to our entire world. That there are seven balls and if you get them together you can ask for a wish. Yep. And it could be anything, including the comfiest panties ever. <laughs> I wish for a pair of underwear. The comfiest panties ever. One of the... Uh... Evil Dragons in GT was created from that wish. Yep. <laughs> Thankfully, GT never happened. I I didn't hate GT. I thought it was okay. Okay, I will. I'll, I'll sum up GT with a couple of things. Uh, positives: the villains coming back, the Cell and Frieza team up, and the Para Para brothers were funny. Cons: Pan, Giru. Super Saiyan 4 looks stupid. Goku as a kid, 90% of the time. <sighs> yep. There's quite a bit. Quite a bit. But I'm being... I did like Baby. Baby was really interesting. Baby was okay, but Baby was basically another Majin angle. Yeah. I, I just like... I'm a sucker for anything that delves deeper into the Saiyan history because it's so like, glossed over in the original series. Yep, but they're also kind of redoing a lot of that, too. Mm-hmm. So. With the updated Broly movie. Yes. Oh, and that's another thing, Dan. You do not have to watch any of the movies. Some of them are pretty entertaining, but they're all considered non-canon, so it'd be like Star Wars Legends. If you're interested in some of them, I there are a couple I would actually recommend. Um, Brian, have you seen the Dragon Ball Z movies? Most of them, not all of them. Yeah, so like... Or I, I at the very least know what happens in all of them. Yeah. The first... God, there's my cat screaming. Uh, the uh, first three are... Yeah. Like, yes, we learn we, we learn about Goku's brother, Turles, or whatever. But that's he, not actually his brother. They're not related. He's just another Saiyan who was just off-planet when, when oh, the yeah. planet was destroyed. But he kind of He just happens like to look just like him, yep. Yeah. That's, like, the first three movies are, eh, uh, whatever. But, like, the good stuff is, like, um, the first Brawly movie's good, although they've retconned it now and made it better. Mm -hmm. So I would say just watch that. Yep. Um, I would say at least the cooler movies and, uh, Super Android wasn't bad. What about this one that's titled, uh, Evolution? Oh, that's the best one. You gotta check that one out. What, Evolution? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's watch that. Said nobody ever. Said nobody ever. If Ra there's two hours of my life I could get back, it's the time I spent watching that. <clears throat> I think the best one is Fusion Reborn, personally. That's the one with uh, Janimba as the villain. Most of it takes place in Outer World, and we get Gogeta for the first time. Mm-hmm. 
And well, is it is it as bad as Last Airbender, where the main character's name is said wrong, even by him by himself? No, actually, no. They do pronounce it correctly. I'll, I'll say this: Evolution is an interesting, creative take, but it's not good. That, that's I think that's a fair summary of what that movie is. Uh, okay, so the Dragon Ball movies you do you will want to watch eventually are Bardock, the father of Goku. Cause that, that one's is, probably my favorite. Because that is canon, and that's really good. And the history of Trunks, after you watch the, the Android saga, the future Trunks stuff. And I'll kind of help you position those. You can watch Battle of the Gods and Resurrection F if you want, but they do those storylines up in Super, and I think they do them better because they spread them out, so... But honestly, you don't have to watch most of the movies, sadly. And the new Broly movie is, it's mostly action. The fight is like 75% of the movie. That's actually, it's actually really good. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. I but, saw it in theaters. That And that's actually a good a good say in history, world builder. Because mm-hmm. so. you learn more about what happened during the, the lead up to the planet's destruction. And... But we will, we will definitely... We will definitely get to that. So what we're going to do with, uh, with 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 Dan here is when he finishes Dragon Ball, he's going to watch Z for the first time, but I'm going to have him watch Kai so he gets the actual storyline of Dragon Ball Z, not the, the, the... And so you can get through it in less than a decade. Yes. <laughs> the Funimation creative version where the Goku-Frieza fight is actually really awesome because they didn't catch up to the manga and they didn't spend ten episodes... Where the planet has five minutes left before it explodes. Yes. <laughs> I just like it for the dialogue, because it's more loyal to the show, and it get it got too silly at points for me, so. But Dragon Ball Z is still, in my opinion, the best series, but do not sleep on Super. Because Super is a fantastic continuation. GT never happened. Sorry, Brian. GT never happened. I said it was okay. It wasn't my favorite. I'm not going to defend it. <laughs> now, that's, but this is what happens when the original creator has nothing to do with it. Doesn't have a say in it. Doesn't have a say in it. Ha ha. Everybody left. All right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We covered quite a lot on this episode, guys. Uh, is there anything else you guys would like to talk about before we wrap up here? I did have one thing I kind of wanted to plug a little bit. Plug away, sir. Game of Thrones is not actually my favorite book series. It used to be. But there is a high fantasy series that takes the number one spot. If you're at all interested in reading fantasy, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, that sort of thing, this one, in my opinion, is the greatest of all time. It's called The Malazan Book of the Fallen. Ooh, okay. It's going to sound... You're gonna. It's gonna sound like Malazan because that's what it looks like. But when I heard the author actually say it, he said Malazan. I'm like, well, okay, he made it. That's how I have to say it. It's you know, kind of. It's pretty daunting. There's ten books in the main series, and they're all massive. Do you know what one of the rules is for the books that I'm working on? Hmm. I'm trying to make sure everything is pronounceable the way I would expect people to pronounce it. This series is interesting because it has really goofy like high fantasy names like Anamandaris, Dragniparake, and then you have a main character named Ben. (laughs) 
Well, you got to have the humans be human, right? <laughs> That's the cool thing about it. It takes place in this, you know, over-the-top world with gods and magic and dragons and other dimensions. But it's told from largely from the point of view of your regular average soldiers on the ground. People with virtually no powers just kind of doing commentary through all this insane stuff happening. That's one of my big defenses for Cloverfield. We see it through the eyes of the civilians running in terror. Right? Every giant monster movie was always a military thing. Cloverfield was It's different. the military that made it or the military that's fighting it or both. Yep. And in this case, it's just here are the citizens just trying to survive the night. I appreciate so that. I, I've been reading a fantasy series and it'll probably last me until the rest of my life because I have 33 of them. <laughs> and it's the Legend of Drizzt series by R.A. Salvatore. Okay. I'm on book five. <laughs> <laughs> Better get to reading, son. It's official Dungeons and Dragons books. So. Drizzt, the original broody edgelord. There you go. I think. Well, but yeah, if you're if you're at all interested in looking for a new series to pick up, the it's the author's name is Steven Erickson. They actually started it as a D a D and D homebrew campaign in the eighties. There you and go. And then the, his co-author. The first book is called Gardens of the Moon. Ooh. Okay. And you will feel lost when you first start because it drops you into this world with hundreds of thousands of years of history and referencing all these names and dates that you won't have any clue. But And you just kind of have to figure it out as you go. But once you start to connect the dots and once you start to put the pieces of the story together, it's like it's like a puzzle game. It's like working out a solution to a puzzle in your head when you're reading. When you finally understand what you're, what's happening, it's so satisfying. Well, I want to hear more about these books as you read them, Dan. So keep us updated. And uh, that sounds like a good recommendation, Brian. I think our listeners might want to look into that. I think I will. So, the author is both an archaeologist and a cultural anthropologist, so he's very good at creating, at world building, creating cultures, interesting characters. I'm, so, I'm sorry, one more time. What was the name of the book? The whole series as a whole is called The, Ma the Malazan, M-A-L-A-Z-A-N, Book of the Fallen. I found it. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure I found it. So, Oh, good, it tells you which one is which. Oh, there is ten already. Yep. The main okay. series is done. He's working on both a prequel and a sequel series. And then his co-author, uh, Ian C. Esselmont, works, has worked on another side series to it. Okay. There's got like 20 books in the, in the total universe. <laughs> <laughs> There's the complete Malazan Book of the Fallen, which is... I think that's 80... an audio book, isn't it? It's $83, but if it's everything, then... All right, cool. So we got some stuff to look into here. So I want to thank everybody for their continued support and their patience over the last couple of weeks with tech issues and rescheduling and all the other stuff. Check out all of our awesome partner shows, uh, the Blake and Sal Show, the United We Fan podcast, and Watch Me Cook with Tom Dickinson, which you can find on the YouTube. Check out our sponsor, link in the description of this episode. EC Travel. Thank you to Brian and all the patrons at patreon.com slash clubkfabe for continuing to help fund the show and keep it free for all of you. 
And if you subscribe today for five bucks a month, you can get bonus content every single week. Brian, have you sampled some of our wonderful exclusive patron content? I have. It's been a while since I've checked the site, but I've checked out a couple of them. Do you enjoy what you've heard? Yes, I do. I would highly recommend it. Well, thank you. So you heard it here first, folks. You heard it here first. And we take recommendations on stuff we can review, and we can be a little more uncensored, so we can say more stuff and be more controversial and all that. But I want to thank Brian one more time for joining us this week. Thank you for filling in Eric's spot. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. We would love to have you on again in the future. And for Dan and I, we say good night, eat well, enjoy your fandoms, and as Dan always likes to remind everyone, get good, son. That's Dan's ultimate video game advice, by the way. Very, very helpful. I'll get right on that. <laughs> uh, Dan, any last-minute plugs on your end? Plugs? No. How about Twitch? Our normal stuff? If you're listening to this on the CKCC Radio, there's all the other shows there, too. Yeah, CKCCRadio.com. Check out all that stuff. And watch Dan and I play stuff on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash CKCC online. Subscribe today. And uh, we'll try to get our one-year anniversary special next week. Hopefully. So just keep an ear out for that. Until that time, we bid you adieu. Thank you for sitting down at the nerd table with us. See you next time.